This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Please be sure to subscribe and share with friends and family. To help support this ministry, please visit allentempleamec.com slash donate. Thank you for listening. Our scripture that was previously read came from 1 Thessalonians, the first chapter and the first through the fifth verse. And just lifting up the third verse, it says, constantly keeping in mind your work of faith and labor of love and perseverance of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of our God and Father. This past week, I met a man in a hospital aged somewhere in his early 60s. As he laid in the bed with tears in his eyes, he said to me, I'm afraid, I'm afraid to die. He went on further to say that he was a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, and even though the doctors all told him that he was going to be okay, none of that made him feel any better. Not his faith, nor the word from the medical team. He was very much afraid to die. So what we have here is a man choosing to believe a lie that he is telling himself. A man who claims to know the truth about Jesus Christ, yet afraid to live. And being told by doctors the truth that he will live, yet afraid to die. In both instances, he's unaware of spiritual life, while at the same time fearing physical death. In short, he had no hope. But as I listened to him tell his story, I I could not help but wonder how many people out there are just like him. How many people out there have no problem confessing faith to a God they say they believe in, but still have very little hope? The questions get to the heart of what I want to talk about today, and that is Christian hope. What is it really? And how do I even know if I have it? Is my faith real or am I just saying I have faith because it's the only thing that can quench my fears and the noises in my head? Is the truth just like that man in the hospital that I too am afraid to die? Well, if that sounds like you, I have a word of encouragement for you today. In a message I have titled, quite simply, Hope's Promise. Hope's Promise. Let us pray. Most gracious, heavenly, and eternal Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we thank you, O Lord, for this opportunity to preach a message to your people today. Help us, O God, to continue to be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord knowing, Lord, that in due season we will in fact reap what you have promised. So bless us now today, Lord. Bless this message and bless this time, we pray. In Jesus' holy name, amen. It has been one year since the coronavirus pandemic officially evicted us from our church building. And up to this point, it has left our nation with over 541,659 people dead. Numerous businesses went bankrupt, schools all closed, and many people whose lives will never 
be the same again. We've been forced to embrace technology in new ways, and the, the word reimagine has become a very common part of our everyday vocabulary. We've had to reimagine worship, reimagine ministry, reimagine relationships, reimagine education, reimagine socialization, and generally speaking, reimagine life as we know it. All of this has left us with a loss of hope and a daunting sense of despair. And, and to quote my friend, the Reverend John Simon, he states, in part, in these COVID times, the economy of words do not seem to work as well. Our capacity to hear has been somewhat diminished by the ambiguous sea of grief. We have lost much. We are tired of the virtual world. Some days are better, some are not still. We still weep without tears. We still work hard at overcoming our fears. We still struggle well protecting ourselves and those dear to us. Our rituals have been redefined, reworked, and reimagined to keep us revived. While there is still much to learn about COVID-19, this much is indisputable. We have each other. We are enough. That is enough. We go forward now with this hope. Tomorrow will come, the sun will rise, and everlasting arms will continue to cover us in the shadow of love's wings as another year arrives. In these COVID times, the economy of words do not seem to work as well, but tomorrow will come. The sun will rise and everlasting arms will continue to cover us in the shadow of love's wings as another year arrives. Yes, we have made it through this year, but despite what you may think, despite what you may believe, and despite what Ever else COVID might bring, the truth is, my brothers and sisters, the sun will rise and another year will arrive. This is the essence of Christian hope. But Christian hope is not to be understood as wishful thinking, as saying, I hope something will happen. This is not what the Bible means by hope. The biblical understanding of hope is to have a confident expectation. It is a firm assurance that things, though they may be unclear, and while things may be unknown, I am assured that it will get better tomorrow. It is an expectant faith from Abraham and Sarah to our present day. It is placing our greatest expectations in the promises of a God who has entered into covenant with each and every one of us. By trusting in God's faithfulness, we hope for deliverance from evil. By trusting in God's faithfulness, we hope for the blessings of justice and peace. By trusting in God's faithfulness, we hope for the messianic reign of God forever. And with the spirit of expectation, we hear Jesus saying, Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. But while we wait, while we hope, give us this day our daily bread. Hope 
is a fundamental component of life. And without hope, life loses its meaning. For those of us who choose to put our hope in God, we will be helped and will not be confounded. We will not be put to shame or disappointed. We who have this trustful hope in God have a general confidence in God's protection and are free from fear and anxiety. And without this kind of hope, we, like the man in the hospital bed, would have every reason to be afraid. And why? Because there is no hope in death. So after a year of despair and fear, hope says it will be better tomorrow. My brothers and my sisters, I do not know how hard this past year has been for you. I do not know all of what you may have lost. I can't even imagine how you made it this far with so little working in your favor. But here is what I do know. You will be okay. You will be okay. And I can tell you, with all the authority of the Spirit of the living God, you will be fine. COVID may have taken your loved ones, or it may have taken your employment. It may have even compromised your own health. You may have lost some meaningful relationships. You may have even done things you never thought you would ever do. But you are still here. And my brothers and my sisters, you are going to be okay. You are going to be fine. It doesn't even matter right now whether or not you believe me or not. For you cannot change the truth about what God says. And what God says? God says, cast all your anxiety on me because I care for you. God says, do not become weary in well-doing. For at the proper time, you will reap a harvest if you do not give up. God says, trust in me with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to me. Me and I will make your path straight. God says, I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope. Plans to give you a future. God says, my peace, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. God says, I am a sun and shield. I bestow favor and honor. No good thing will I withhold from those of you who walk blameless with me. God says, for in the day of trouble, I will keep you safe in my dwelling. I will hide you in the shelter of my sacred tent and set you upon a rock. God said, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. My brothers and my sisters, these are not my words. These are God's words. And because they are God's words, my brother and my sister, you will be okay. You will be fine. So the question now becomes, Pastor, how do I know that I can have this hope? I'm glad you asked. So let's look at our text in 1 Thessalonians, the first chapter and the first to the fifth verse. It said, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. 
We always give thanks to God for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly keeping in mind your work of faith and labor of love and perseverance of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of our God and Father, knowing, brothers and sisters beloved by God, his choice of you. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sakes. My brothers and my sisters, the Christian ministry is made valuable by three very important things. Number one, the power that comes from God the Father. The second thing is the truth that comes from the Holy Spirit. And third, the assurance of a person who knows he has had a real experience and encounter with the living Christ. So, so, so say what you want about life. You cannot deny the fact that you are here today because something deep down inside you said, don't give up. Tomorrow will be better. Hang in there just one more day. This is the power that comes from God. This is the truth from the Holy Spirit. And yes, if you hang on, you will have fellowship with Christ in your suffering. But don't miss verse 4. <laughs> Watch verse 4. Verse 4 says, Knowing brothers and sisters, beloved by God, his choice of you. Did you see that? It says, his choice of you. The hope of which I speak is not something that you get from a preacher or a teacher or a parent or from Dr. Fauci or the vaccine or some election or anything from the world. No, it is a hope that comes from God's choice of you. God's choice of you is the single most crucial ingredient to having this thing called Christian hope. But lest you be fooled, it's not just that you are God's choice. That's only the starting point. The Christian hope is to be tended and nurtured. Paul lets us know that there are three essentials to nurturing and maintaining this hope. Look again at verse 2 to 3. We always give thanks to God for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly keeping in mind your work of faith and labor of love and perseverance of hope. Do you see it? Paul is giving thanks and praying for these Thessalonians who are working in faith, laboring in love, and persevering in hope. Let's talk about each briefly. First, faith's work. Pope John Paul II, in a message he delivered in 1995 in Baltimore, Maryland, asked the following question, and I quote, How can we profess faith in God's word and then refuse to let it inspire and direct our thinking, our activity, our decisions, and our responsibilities toward one another. This question underscores what the Apostle James, who understood the important link between our professional faith and our demonstrative faith, when he boldly declared, I will show you my faith by my works. And we all can attest, faith without works is dead. By keeping in mind the Thessalonians' work of faith, the Apostle Paul was stating the fact that those who profess genuine faith will be motivated to demonstrate that faith by doing something. 
It's not enough to say, I believe in Jesus Christ, and then sit around waiting for his return. You must be actively engaged in toiling until he comes. Such is the nature of true faith. It's faith in action or faith's work. Faith's work is an active engagement with trying to meet the physical needs of other people, knowing that your work comes from a place within you that is really not of you. It is active belief. It becomes its own validation of your salvation. You do not help people to be saved. You help people because you are Saved. This is why our church is so focused on giving out masks and hand sanitizers, supplying food and groceries to our neighbors, offering gifts and beanie babies to children, all because our profession of faith would be empty and meaningless if we do nothing. And by doing these things, it fulfills us with a sense of purpose and forms the basis of our Christian hope. Faith's work is active belief, for faith without works is dead. The second thing that Paul tells us is he shares love's labor. Very often when we think of the world, the word love, we, we take on the world's idea of love and imagine something of a romantic expression. Now this might shock you, but love as the Bible uses it has nothing to do with romance. Now I can already hear some of you saying, but we read in the Song of Solomon words like, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. For your love is better than wine. Your anointing oils are fragrant. Your name is oil poured out. But the truth is, romance is a feeling of excitement and mystery associated with love, which is what the text in the Song of Solomon is expressing. But this is not love. It is an emotional feeling that is expressing the presence of love. Emotional bliss, hear me church, emotional bliss is just as much an expression of love as tears in your eyes. Your tears and your, your worries are also valid expressions of love. Not only the bliss and the happiness. The world has dragged us into thinking that unless we are perpetually engaged in an emotional expression of adoration and adulation for someone else, unless we are constantly falling in love and we do not have these emotional expressions, then it means we have fallen out of love. <laughs> Brothers, the biblical notion of love is that love is a choice and it always involves some kind of sacrifice. The emotions serve to attract and the excitement engages the curiosity. But love in its true essence is a willingness to lay down one's life for another. Jesus says, greater love hath this than no man than to lay down his life for his friends. As a spouse, you can romance all day long and make your beloved feel special all day long, but it's an empty expression of love unless they are willing to die for you. I take thee to be my wedded, to have and to hold from this day forward for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish till death do us part according to God's holy ordinance and thereto I pledge myself to you. The meaning behind these vows are romantic but they are 
only the starting point. The work is not the wedding, it's the marriage, which takes a lifetime of discovery. In fact, nestled in the vows, as I read, was the phrase, to love. That's an action word, and that's love's labor. Love's labor, whether you are married or not, is about working selflessly for the benefit of other people. It is a constant dying to yourself and your own desires. It is a conscious decision to put aside your own aspirations if it means someone else will be able to realize theirs. It is literally taking up your cross and following Jesus. That's love's labor and it's always, always a sacrifice. The third and final thing that Paul prays for the Thessalonians is their perseverance of hope. Paul, Silas, and Timothy went to Thessalonica around AD 49. Paul's preaching was powerful and it attracted both Jews and Gentiles alike. But these new believers that were attracted, they received immense hostility and persecution, so much so that Paul and Silas and Timothy had to leave the town just so to protect the new believers. But Paul was very worried about these Thessalonians, thinking that, oh my goodness, they might lose their faith. And he was therefore trying to find a way to get back to them. But when that became impossible, Paul decided, you know what, let me send Timothy instead. Let me send Timothy to go find out what's going on. Timothy comes back and Timothy says to Paul, Paul, you're not going to believe this, but the truth is that they are fine. They are doing well. Timothy came back with good news. They were standing strong in spite of the persecution. Then Paul wrote this first letter to the Thessalonians. He wanted to encourage them to stay the course. Stay away from evil. Do the right things. Now, now I shared this little bit with you for a reason. I wanted to make the point that many of us, the truth is we actually mean well for others. I believe that many of us really mean well for other people. And especially after we have invested much, much money and time in their success. But I want you to make sure that you understand what I'm saying. We want them to do so well that we become helicopter parents hovering over them because we want them to do well. Now, now while this is admirable on some level, <laughs> it is a failure of Christian hope. It is. You cannot manage and control the outcomes you want in life and at the same time say that you trust God and that he is in control. Either God is in control or you are. It can't be both. Paul wanted to micromanage the faith of the Thessalonians and he was stressed that he could not help them with their journey. So he sent Timothy because he couldn't. But when Timothy returned, the message was clear. Hey Paul, they got this. They are suffering, but they are staying the course. They are persevering. Brothers, sisters, suffering and persecution is part of the growth process. And without it, you wouldn't be where you are today. If the process or the struggle worked for you, <laughs> can you trust the process of struggle to work for your loved ones also? Can you let God take care of them? Can you imagine <laughs> planting a seed in the ground, watering it every day, but every Saturday at 9 o'clock, you dig it up to see if it is growing. 
I know that sounds ludicrous, but doesn't that sound like some of you? You can't control everything. Let God be God. Otherwise, you be God and see how things turn out. Hope's perseverance is about allowing the process to do what the process is designed to do and for you to trust that it will. It will. It work for you. It will work for them. So Paul says, we're always giving thanks to God for all of you. So Paul now can't go to see the Thessalonians, so the best he can do now is to pray for them. So Paul says, we always give thanks to God for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly keeping in mind your work of faith, your labor of love, your perseverance of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ, not my own. I can't be persevering in hope for you. I can't be laboring in love for you. I, I want you to understand that you have to do your part. This is hope's promise. It is knowing first and foremost that God chose you. That's the first step. God chose you. And after being convinced of his choice for you and your salvation, then you are to faithfully work your labor of love, persevering in hope that God will do what he said he will do. And knowing that, I'm not just saying words that sound good, but that these words come with a quickening power of the Holy Spirit with full conviction. That's what it says in the text. Hope's promise is rooted in the gospel. And while you may be suffering right now, my brothers and my sisters, while you may be scared and worried right now, my brothers and sisters, while you may be uncertain about what tomorrow will bring, do not be afraid. Do not be like that man in the hospital bed. For the truth of the matter is, in these COVID times, the economy of words do not seem to work as well, but tomorrow will come. The sun will rise and everlasting arms will continue to cover us in the shadow of love's wings as another year arrives. Simply put, my brothers and my sisters, you are going to be okay. Simply put, my brothers and my sisters, Hear me with all sincerity of heart. You are going to be just fine. May the Lord richly, richly bless you, my beloved.